0: Thanks for joining us today on Mormon Land, where we explore news in and about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'm senior religion reporter Peggy Fletcher-Stack. I'm joined by managing editor David Noyce, who oversees our faith coverage. Hi, Dave. Hello, Peggy. We invite you, our listeners, to show your support for Mormon Land by going to patreon.com, where, with a donation as little as $3 a month, you can access all the Tribune's religion coverage, transcripts for our podcasts, and the Mormon Land newsletter. Again, that's Patreon, e a t r e o n. dot com forward slash Mormon Land. Now for today's episode. On the face of it, the blockbuster Barbie film seems like a light romp through gender-swapping universes. The first where women rule, astronaut Barbie, Nobel Prize winner Barbie, President Barbie, in perfect harmony. And the second where men dominate. But some, including an author at Christianity Today, see it as a reverse allegory of the Christian Garden of Eden story, with Barbie land as the world untouched by human tragedy, but the heroine must commit original sin to travel to the real world to discover knowledge of good and evil. This telling echoes Mormon theology of a quote, happy fall in which Eve makes the right choice, even though she disobeys God and persuades Adam to follow her. Quote, in addition to introducing physical and spiritual death, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints explains, it gave us the opportunity to be born on the earth and to learn and progress. So, what does the movie, which has attracted Latter day Saints and millions and millions of other theatergoers, have to say about women and men, the need for choices, the all-male priesthood, patriarchy, and perfectionism. Joining us via Zoom from Boston to discuss these questions is Rachel Ruckert, an award-winning author and editor-in-chief of Exponent 2, a magazine for and about Latter-day Saint women. Rachel, welcome. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, start off. Did you play with Barbies
1: as a kid? I sure did. My most memorable Christmas present was coming into the living room, and there was a pink Barbie dream house with a real battery operated elevator. Um, And it was wonderful. And it was interesting thinking about this, though, because um, that sparkle didn't quite last. I think even then, I kind of understood and felt that Barbies were somehow embarrassing, like watching Barney. Like they were not a cool toy. I was not raised in like, or steeped in a feminist world that would have the kind of like the unreasonable expectations argument. This was just like, oh, they're lame, but I, I delighted in my Barbies. And I think looking back, I can also see that Barbies, um, I played with them very differently than how I played with other toys. Um, I think for a lot of young people, Barbies gave me a chance to explore boundaries relationships and like wild imagination as my mind is like growing and maturing everything from how does kissing work to like where is this Barbie riding off in her plastic horse into the horizon um yeah and, and I think you know speaking also to that that piece that I think is real like the unreasonable expectations um yeah I'm, I'm also interested in this like this tendency of kids to play really hard on their Barbie sometimes, or like, you know, the weird Barbie and like the torturing stuff. Um, Leslie Jameson wrote a piece in The New Yorker called Why Barbie Must Be Punished in response to the new movie. And um, a line that really resonated with me too is I think back on like, what was I doing with my Barbies? She said, I wanted to become Barbie and I wanted to destroy her. I wanted her perfection, but I also wanted to punish her for being more perfect than I'd ever be. You know, so there's there's just a lot going on. And it definitely felt like a different toy than the other ones.
0: Did you have those career Barbies? I had no career Barbies. I'm no disappointed in
1: Barbies. that. No career Barbies. Okay. Yeah, maybe there was a vet at some point, but I'm pretty sure it was just just the pretty dresses.
0: <laughs> we had we had astronaut Barbie. Uh, um, so what what were your expectations going into the movie? I was excited to see it mainly because
1: anything that Greta Gerwig makes, I'm interested in seeing, but unless a friend hadn't explicitly invited me to go the day after its release, I'm not sure I would have gone to see it as promptly. And yeah, I was, I was bowled over in a lot of ways. It definitely exceeded expectations and I laughed harder than I have in a very long time.
2: So Rachel probably dig into more of this uh, a little later, but what were some of, Parts of the movie just that stood out to you right off, off the bat.
1: Yeah, i definitely excited, you know, kind of for the, the long version of this story from from all of us here. Um, off, off the bat, the things, you know, just a first take that really stood out to me was just the poignancy of Depression Barbie. And like, sorry if that's a spoiler alert for somebody, Depression Barbie felt very real to me. Um, I'm very fascinated in the role of Alan and how problematic gender roles can feel for certain folks in this kind of binary world that we have. Um, and I think for me personally too, there's a moment in the movie where Barbie is is reflecting on something and she says, like, Oh, I don't want to hurt him, like reflecting on, you know, something that she has to like do or say to Ken after he's acted horribly. And another Barbie's like, He took your house. And <laughs> just like proceeds as I like, say, but I'm personally trying to recover from like people pleasing and they're, like, oh, just don't hurt anyone. Just don't hurt anyone. And so on a personal level, those are some things that stood out. But I'm very interested in some of these like larger themes coming
2: up. Yeah. Uh, so Exponent 2 has published responses to the movie. Tell our listeners about some of them.
1: Yeah. So for those who are not familiar, Exponent 2 Um, provides feminist forums for women and gender minorities across the Mormon spectrum to share their diverse life experiences in an atmosphere of trust and acceptance. So there are three pillars of Exponent. One is the annual retreat. One is the magazine, um, which I am the editor-in-chief of, and that was founded actually in 1974. So we're coming up on our 50th anniversary. Mm. It's a beautiful magazine. Highly recommend subscribing. Um, But because it operates on a print schedule, you know they're they're more like evergreen topics, but so, so where we're really seeing some of the most exciting Barbie coming uh, content coming out is on the blog, which is the third pillar of the organization. And so, um, I just want to highlight three really interesting articles that have gone up in the last month. Um, the first was by Heather Sandall. Um, her essay is called "Confessions of a Barbie Lover," and she talks about this you know idea of you know she's a feminist or she should hate Barbie. But seeing her daughters playing through, um, you know, the things that she also loved about Barbie and just not seeing Barbie as the antichrist in stilettos that, you know, maybe she should. And one thing that really stood out to me, especially, you know, in light of this con, um, this podcast, um, she says, for every Ken doll, we had at least four Barbies. And no, never once did we play Brigham Young era Barbie. Where Barbie, Midge, and Skipper were sister wives to polygamous Ken. On the contrary, Ken was an accessory, like her go-go boots. Um, so yeah, so, so Heather, you know, is, is interested in this idea of imagination. Another post we got was from Abby Maxwell Hansen. Her post was called As a Latter-day Saint Woman, I was Ken. And for her, you know, at the age of 32, she puts into Google a big scary question: is patriarchy bad? <laughs> You know, and and she cites some some interesting personal experiences and also like that recent um, Instagram caption from the church after Patricia Holland died and how it did not mention her name. It just only mentioned um, her husband, Elder Holland. Um, yeah. And so for her, this cognitive dissonance. And, and she says that while it would have infuriated me anywhere else to see this kind of, um, you know, patriarchy basically play out. You know, in high school, if they're like the councils of, you know, who was going to be the homecoming queen or whatever were decided mainly by boys, that wouldn't have felt fair. But for her, she says, I didn't even question it in a church setting. So that felt really poignant. And then a third one that I just want to draw attention to by uh, Katie Ludlow Rich. I think this um, is just like a hilarious take. And I think one thing I'm interested in about in this movie generally is the power of humor and absurdity to speak to some really deep painful issues. Um, so her post was called What Would General Conference Sound Sound Like in Kendom? And I'm just going to read two quotes. <laughs> Basically, she's taken some text from General Conference and she has inserted, you know, instead of women, she's put Barbie, and instead of, you know, men, she's put Ken. So here's the first one that's kind of fun. This one, this one's from 1977. So a little bit dated, but I think we kind of have a tendency sometimes to not throughout. Um, the old and clarify, so here, so here we go. I beg of you, you who could and should be bearing and rearing a family, Barbie, come home from the typewriter, the laundry, the nursing, come home from the factory, the cafe, no career approaches in importance in that of wife, homemaker, mother, cooking meals, washing dishes, making beds for one's precious ken and children, come home, Barbies, to your kens make your mojo dojo casa house a heaven for them come home barbies to your children born and unborn wrap your motherly cloak around you and unembarrassed help a major role to create the bar the bodies for mortal dolls who anxiously await you know and so like in that it like it's hard not to even laugh it's just like this is absurd um and how is
2: that how is that attributed Rachel she puts the attribution you know yeah so so Uh
1: she uh, she says Ken Kimball 1977 (laughs) yeah yeah um but I think one thing that's interesting and Katie doesn't say this explicitly um in her really great piece but um you know by the time we come around to 2014 we have Ken Ballard a Ken Ballard quote um you know so we, we start to kind of see this like shift where it's not as explicit of like don't do those things, but we're seeing something else going on. Um, So in this quote we have, we cannot meet our destiny as the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in preparing this world for the second coming of the savior of the world without the support and faith and strength of the Barbies of this church. We need you. We need your voices. They need to be heard. They need to be heard in your community, in your neighborhoods. They need to be with heard within the walls of ward council and on branch council. Now, don't talk too much in those council meetings. Just straighten the cans out quickly and move the work on. We are building the kingdom of God. Um, and so, yeah, I I think for me, and I'm curious other people's thoughts too, but I think they're, I mean, after seeing you know, how powerful Barbie is, it's just like, it, it's a little bit uh, patronizing um, in, in this particular lens of humor. Um, so, yeah, that's what's going on next, exponent. we're having a great time and we're always taking guest submissions. Posts. If anyone's got more, keep
0: them coming. OK, so let's move to the Garden of Eden hypothesis. So in the film, everything appears all's well in Barbie land until stereotypical Barbie uh, Maro Roby uh, asks about death. She asks if anybody else has thoughts about death which could be the first allusion to the garden of Eden. Does that allegory seem plausible to you? Absolutely. Um,
1: Though it's really obvious for me now, I have to say that while I was just watching the movie um, and I saw it quite early before I'd read any commentary, um, I was just enjoying the movie and laughing and enjoying the ride. I wasn't really analyzing, um, but in hindsight, it's really hard to miss this allegory. Um, In fact, Greta Gerwig herself mentions this even before the movie came out. She had an interview with Vogue and she said Barbie was invented first. She said Ken was invented after Barbie uh, to burnish Barbie's position in our eyes and in the world. That kind of creation myth is the opposite of the creation myth in Genesis. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, thinking about her own background in Catholicism and stuff, I I think um, this was very much... Um, top of mind, actually. Not, you know, like, again, though, it doesn't feel overwrought. Like it wasn't, oh, this is so obvious. Like almost like I feel like sometimes in literature, it's like spot the Eve character, spot the Christ figure. <laughs> you know, it doesn't feel like that, but it's hard to miss it too when you think
2: about it. So some Latter day Saints have compared it to the faith's plan of salvation laid out in their temples. Well, what do you think?
1: You know, again, my first time through, I was just like, I'm really enjoying this, but. But yes, um, this message of leaving innocence, of going through the wilderness of human experience and maturing all along the way, it's all there. Um, One friend of mine mentioned that as soon as she got out of it, she was she was moved to tears. And she's like, this is the temple movie I wish I would have had. Um, Mm. And so. Yeah, this is where the Latter-day Saint take on Eve specifically um, as wise can especially shine. You know, we we really do have this to draw from. Um, it would have been a total tragedy for Eve to have stayed in Eden or for Barbie to stay in Barbie land.
0: So spoiler in the end, Ken says there is no Ken. There is only Ken and Barbie. And uh, alluding to something you said earlier, The Bible talks about Eve being created as a "quote help me" to Adam, but in this case, Ken is created as a helpmeet or an accessory to Barbie. Um, What did you think about in the end when he says that Ken's need to discover his true self apart from Barbie?
1: Yeah, I, I have two thoughts. The first, and it's it's just such a great question, but this really resonates for me personally, like very strongly. My my first book was a memoir called East Winds, and it basically was a big wrestle with my deep ambivalence and fear about marriage because I didn't want to be an and. I didn't want to be and Rachel, um, but the tagline was Mormon married mother, the end. You know, so I was so ruled by fear and haunted by my relationship status. And in so many ways, so was Ken. Um, Barbie in contrast. Um, You know, she's got Ken and she's got the barbecue. She's got she's not weighed down worrying about it at all. (laughs) She's just going about um, her little Barbie life. Um, It's not so little at all, as it turns out. Um, But on the flip side, you know, and and another friend of mine and I noticing how many times I keep saying like a friend of mine. These are all different friends. Everyone is going to see this movie and talking about it Um, anyway. But this other friend of mine, she's a brilliant scholar. She really felt that this movie actually fell very flat in its feminism. Um, So, you know, I want to honor that spectrum, too. She enjoyed the film as a comedy, but thought that Gerwig's kind of like, just go find yourself. Um, Interpretation of what women need to do is hard to actually go and do that in a society structured entirely around the fact that we are all subjects being acted upon by these larger structures and systems that profit off of the same dynamic. So, you know, there might be a limit to what we can do is just self actualized people or women in this case. Um, but I, I think this is a really good start um, to a really important conversation.
2: So continuing with a uh, can, can needs to be, you know, for more fully realized, not just yeah. an, an attachment or an accessory to Barbie. Barbie, isn't that what Latter-day Saint women kind of want to, they don't want it just be an accessory. That's sort of what you're talking about, right? And what that one blog talked about.
1: Yeah, I mean, I cannot speak for all women, thank goodness. But for me, yeah, um, I've just seen such a wide responses from LDS women. And um, I think that response shows just like a larger portrait of like, we've got a really complex thing going on with how women are relating to gender and roles and patriarchy. Um, and also understanding of those concepts. Um, it's really not very didactic once you get down to it. And I've I've been just very surprised by the range of responses from so many people.
0: So in the movie, when Ken arrives in the real world, he's just surprised and struck by all the things men can do that he they couldn't do in Barbie land. And he thinks he can do anything just by being male. I can be a doctor. I'm, oh, I'm a man. I can, I'm not to go to school or anything. I can just be something. And um, the LDS church has an all-male priesthood, which allows boys and men to be deciders over women in almost all cases. What what did you think about the parallels
1: I I mean, Ryan Gosling does such a fantastic job portraying Ken. I think most people can agree on that. And I also want to add, especially for this podcast, let's also not forget that he grew up Mormon. Um, Yeah, Yeah, he did, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) because but because his acting is so over the top, it's easier to spot and laugh at, you know, like, of course, Ken, with no medical experience, shouldn't be able to walk into a hospital and perform surgery. Like, <laughs> yeah. of course, men without experience shouldn't be charged. Of course, that's dangerous, especially when making decisions for women. And then it's like, oh, <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. Um so I think like this parallel to the to the LDS church definitely um, doesn't feel comedic comedic to me when I actually sit down to think about it. Um, I've definitely been in situations at church where I haven't felt less than my male counterparts, but I've also been like especially recently um, had an incident that was so deeply painful that like not going to say on podcast and this is coming from a memoirist and I just don't bear it all. Um, but so deeply wounded by men acting out the hierarchy. And I think that happens, especially when there's a tension, when there's a problem, like it's all fun and games and we're all playing nice at the beach. Um, But then when, you know, actually there's a difference or there's something that needs to be attended to, it's um, the the, the patriarchy, I think, shows some of its worst at that moment, or at least it, it did for me. And so I think, yeah, it's one of the most powerless, alienating feelings that I've ever felt. And for me, a really poignant part of the movie was when Ken is asked for the first time, um, you know, what time is it (laughs) from someone on the street? And he's startles and he's like, you respect me. And he's just floored. And I think, you know, and and that is part of Ken's just like larger journey. Like, good luck, Ken. But um, I think everyone, regardless of who they are and how they identify in terms of their gender, I think like deserves respect. And that's just like something that Ken was just like, oh, my gosh. What is this? What is respect? <laughs> um, that's something I'm thinking
0: about. Well, w- one more point on that. I mean, at some level, and this is taking it obviously to the extreme, but a 12-year-old boy with the priesthood has more power to act in God's name than adult women, and just by being male. Uh, I mean, when you when you reduce it down to that, it does seem kind of absurd. It does. Again, I'm
1: seeing Ken walking into the hospital saying, like, I'd like to perform a surgery now. Um, Yeah, it's it's. Again, I'm thinking back to Abby's blog post of like, you know, being like, oh, if this happened at a hospital or this happened at school, you know, I would be outraged or this would be really strange. But I think we have some special blinders that come into play when, when we're talking about our religious experience.
2: I'm going to shift gears a little bit now, uh, Rachel, and ask about, because the movie talks, it targets perfectionism. Um, uh, Latter-day Saints and even their scripture, you know, be therefore perfect, essentially embrace that as uh, as a quest, uh, maybe an eternal quest, but a quest nonetheless. What message can members, especially women, take from the movie about perfectionism?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, part of Barbie leaving Barbie land is she's being exiled, not just from innocence, Um, I think there was a a Christianity Today post that talked about this, but exiled from perfectionism. And I think, um, I think the idea, the concept of innocence and perfectionism together are interesting. I think we have a tendency to fetishize both, um, as if those are somehow good. Um, But again, like, there, there was no way that Barbie could ever get past the best day, quote unquote, ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever, and ever um, without doing something different, without becoming imperfect. Um and so that's that's something I thought a lot about and and want to keep thinking about. But yeah, I I think we we've got to get past that not just in the you know the literal translation that's more of like actually like mature is the better translation of that word be therefore perfect but um but seeing it like not as an ideal but actually as something deeply plastic as something that we actually really want to not be like let's
2: let's be human do you think this is a bigger issue for latter-day saint women than men
1: oh it's hard to say um i Again, I think it's a spectrum. I think it's so a spectrum. Um, but I mean, again, I can just speak to my own life. Um, you know, yes, <laughs> yes. I'm like, I don't know. Anyone else here? Um,
0: yeah, just and I'm. I'm like, no more notes. I'm just like, yes. <laughs> so you talked about feminist critiques of the movie, but lots of conservative critics have said the film is anti-men. And, um, what do you think about that? Is, is it anti-men or is it just anti-patriarchy?
1: You know, I think, I think it's a movie about Barbie and it's a comedy, you know, so we, this happens too. And I know this so well as a writer, like people read their own experience, like people don't read your book, they read their story. And so I can see where, you know, some of these criticisms are coming from, um, You know, to some extent, I also like America Ferreira's husband in the movie was like particularly like a total airhead prop. But again, it's comedy and it's not it's I actually I don't think the movie is particularly subversive. That's my own take. Um, But in the movies, can't and it's not supposed to do everything. I saw a really interesting take on Twitter, which I'm still not calling X, uh, (laughs) um, that that said something to the effect of did it make you feel uncomfortable to see Ken? and men portrayed that way as an accessory and merely a love interest, um, then good. You're on your way to realizing something like, just keep going like a little bit further. And I, um, yeah, I am not sure that the movie really says anything conclusive or even directional about how we all live together. <laughs> it's, it's really not conclusive. Um, it's also like not as dark. I'm thinking about the novel by um Oh, what is it Naomi Alderman the power where it's just like women suddenly get this power to like electrocute um men and so they suddenly have like physical um domination in the world and yeah that's like that, there's annihilation themes you know so we don't we don't quite there, go there in Barbie but um but it's also very open-ended I think I don't think it quite answers what we do next
2: so another message is no adult woman wants to live in Barbie land or in patriarchy. Even Barbie wants to be a quote creator and live in the real world. How does that jive with Latter-day Saint teachings and, and Latter-day Saint women?
1: I, I think we have a long way to go in our culture, um, where some women do benefit and enjoy living in patriarchy. Um, I also think we need to acknowledge that the quote-unquote real world can be really, really terrible. Um, Near the end, when Barbie sees a montage of a lot of, you know, quote-unquote real women, they are smiling, they are laughing, they are living their best moments. And, you know, by, by embracing, you know, the human experience, Barbie will know the good, like she will in the case of Eve. Um... But wow, will she also know the bad, like realities like war, school shootings, sexual assault, climate crisis, cancer, grief upon grief upon grief. Um, there's a reason. Um, and maybe as a collective culture, again, this kind of fetishizing of innocence, I think that we're, we actually take solace in the innocence of Eden. Um, there's a reason why even Barbie you know, wanted to pick the pink high heel over um, the Birkenstock sandal, like knowledge is really painful. Um, and so, yeah, it just, for me, it goes back to the opposition and all things idea. I just think we have a lot of work to do about our session with innocence. Um, in grad school, I went to grad school in New York and I worked with a really amazing essayist named Philip Lopate. And what was really refreshing about him is he just had like little interest in our writings about innocence. He was so bored by our essays about nostalgia and childhood. <laughs> and he's just like, bring your full brain. Like what was so great about that time. And so in his classes, I started to interrogate that idea of innocence for myself. What was so important about upholding? Like I had this subconscious small, like, Oh, I'm a nice Utah Mormon girl. I'm out of my depth here in the big, big city, like embarrassing narrative. And it's like, what's really so like, what even is innocence? What is this remaining willfully um, ignorant has terrible consequences as we see time and time again um, do we valorize it in the church i, I think turning away from cognitive dissonance um, because it makes us feel bad is not the right move and so yeah i guess the question i'm just asking and i think that this movie speaks to is like why this longing to go back rather than the grappling with the difficult here and now um and again i think this yeah connects to that idea of perfectionism like can we move away from innocence can we move away from perfectionism to something better something deeper and richer
0: so what do you think about that ending
1: (sighs) i feel complicated i think i am i want to see it again so uh, no jury's out jury's out i want to see it again because i was so deeply moved um are we talking about the the last line or like her choice (laughs) To be clear. No, her, like her choice or her choice yeah deeply moved and again i think and maybe it's you know my mormon dna just like eve thing of just like you go barbie um i also think like i wonder what that scene with that montage would have looked like with some more um i guess some of the bad experiences of this lone her wilderness um did did eve fully know what she was consenting to yeah. um you know like, really, the choice between the the high heel and, and that nasty sandal. Um, it's a difficult choice, actually. Um,
2: Although the last line is certainly, as you say, also worthy of pondering, right?
1: Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I yeah. love that. Yeah. I love that. It was actually in a release Society lesson in Cambridge the first time someone gave me a compact mirror and was like, love your body, a <laughs> pink mm-hmm. compact mirror. So, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Welcome to it all.
0: So final question. uh, Final takeaways. And what do you think Latter-day Saints should or could take away from it? Again, you can't speak for all of them, but in general. Yes. yes. What are the messages that could resonate? Yeah, I think
1: regardless of individual interpretations, my opinion, someone, you know, you listening's opinion, um, I think that the movie is a very important conversation starter. Um, I think people watching it with their kids and the kids ask on the drive home, like mom, what patriarchy. I think that's absolutely brilliant. Um, In kind of the range of people I see and how they feel about patriarchy, whether I think that's like a really good thing or not, like whatever that is, Um, whatever feelings people have about patriarchy, we need to know what patriarchy is and that the church is structured this way. I've often heard like people kind of dismissively say like, well, the church isn't a patriarchy. And that's just, that's just actually just naive. Like you might feel a certain way about patriarchy, but, um, but yeah, like that's Eden thinking. And so I didn't really understand what patriarchy meant until I was in my 20s, like in a real concrete way, you know, again, for our blogger, Maggie, uh, or sorry, Abby Maxwell Hansen, you know, that was 32. I know many people, many women for whom it was much older than that. But I think by having these conversations starters, like if it made someone feel uncomfortable, talk. If it like felt really validating some way, like talk, because, you know, it's, it's just a movie about Barbie. And again, we read our own story. And so I guess like engage, like take one more step, take another step, take another step to wherever that might lead. Um, and then last, you know, as a writer, this is something I'm thinking about a lot is I am really thinking about the power of thoughtful humor. Um, I touched on a lot of these themes in my recent memoir and I've read countless gutting stories from women about how small they have felt, um, or abused in certain situations. Um, and that absolutely has an effect, like no doubt, you know, to do that. But, but this over the top humor thing, you know, I'm thinking of Katie's, um, blog post, you know, that seems to be a productive portal into this conversation that I hadn't particularly considered. I, um, you know, and that's really what Barbie, like, this is a, this is a comedy, um, and that's surprising to me. So that's something i yeah, I, I want to think more about. Um, Yeah. I think, and, you know, speaking to the end again, you know, it's like, you do you like that's, that's maybe all we can do for now until we have some larger systemic, um, you know, solutions, but, but we also can like do us together, you know, and by having these conversations, um, we're at least less alienated and alone in that way.
0: Rachel to Thanks for joining us today. Thank you again. So fun to talk. Thanks for having me. And thanks to Dave Noyce.
2: Always a pleasure.
0: And to our producer, Nicole Weaver. We remind our listeners that they can keep up on all the happenings in and about the church by subscribing to the Salt Lake Tribune's free Mormonland newsletter. Just go to sltrib.com to sign up and we'll talk again next time on Mormonland.